Hebrews chapter 4, open your Bible, stand in honor of God's word with me this morning. I think I'm a little hot, just a little. That's not a vain statement, that is a sound statement. Just a little, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Hebrews 4. You with me? Okay, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God prepared, has prepared this rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For we, for only we who believe can enter his rest, as for the others, God said, in my anger I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest. Even though this rest has been ready since he made the world, we know it's ready because of the place in the scriptures where, it's men- where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work, but in the other passage, God said, they'll never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who've entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. So then... Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we'll receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. Father God, we are in need of your help today in varying degrees. And so, Father God, I ask that you would speak to every situation. Father, speak to every challenged heart and every challenged life. God, we ask that your word would penetrate every emotion, that your word would penetrate every affliction. God, that it would cut to our very bone, and it would expose the truth from the lie. Father God, thank you that you are going to set people free today because your word's going forth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You can be seated. I don't know how you could miss it, but did you catch what was mentioned over and over and over again here in Hebrews chapter 4, the word rest? It's mentioned 13 times in just 11 verses. N.T. Wright says, in biblical theology, there is a principle of one day in seven, or possibly one year in seven, or some variation on these, which is built in the creation from the beginning. He goes on, by the time of Jesus, the parts of the Mosaic law which dealt with Sabbath observance had become such a tightly drawn legal system that people were forgetting their purpose, which was to help people by giving them rest, not to add burdens to them by forbidding things like healing. So rest was so important 
that God rested on the seventh day after creation. Rest was uh, just as much a part of, of creation as everything else. And little, uh, very little attention do we give to the fact that God rested on the seventh day. Everything God did, he did on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. And so there is a biblical pattern of resting one day in seven. One day in seven. But there's more that we're to see here in Hebrews chapter four. I want to draw out a couple truths revolving around the word rest. And I just want to ask, how many of you struggle resting? It's just a difficult thing. Um, let me ask this. How many of you never turn your phones off? I know some of you, because it's a job thing, I, I get that, but I don't know about you, but have you figured it out yet? Equated with our phones is also a lack of rest. I don't know how you can constantly have your phone and, and rest at the same time. You're always thinking. Well, let me look that up. Let me check that out. From the places that you go to, to the things that you want to know more about, it seems like we are forever going and we're never resting. Can I suggest something? And Lisa says it to me all the time. Um, but if we're going to go out and we're going we're gonna to get anything out of that date night that we have, sometimes we leave the phones in the car. Well, what if somebody texts me and I don't get back to them right away? Hey, there was a day when you couldn't get a hold of anybody until you got home and, and called them on the phone. And so they'll survive. And you can apologize later. Hey, sorry, I was out. I was out with my spouse and we were having a good time. I know this is completely foreign to you. Just do your best. Pull through. Um, uh, can I suggest something else? If you're going to spend time alone with God, don't bring your phone in there. Why did your phone get the first and the best? Why can't God have it? Now, Pastor John, I, I read the Bible on my phone. Yeah, but everything else comes with your phone. Find a real Bible with real pages and a real cover, and I would go to that. You won't be as distracted, and your time with the Lord will be richer for it, if you came just for that. Okay. So let's look at a couple truths revolving around rest. Based on verses 2, 6, 7, and 11, there is a connection to rest and hearing God's voice. Did you see it? There's a connection to rest and hearing God's voice. That's why in a couple of these verses, the word disobedience is mentioned. Think about it. There can't be obedience or disobedience unless you're given some kind of an instruction. And so here we see that it is difficult to enter God's rest if we are not hearing and obeying his voice. I want to read verses 2 and 3 again because they're pretty powerful. It says, For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them, but it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. It takes faith to listen to God. Amen. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, In my anger, I took an oath. They'll never enter my place of rest. Let's look at Psalm 95, as I've mentioned before in the preceding three weeks, and if you haven't been with us, you can go back and um, listen to those messages there online on our website. Psalm 95 is the parallel portion of Scripture with the book of Hebrews here, and it's mentioned more than once. 
I want to look at verses 6 through 11, yeah. It says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people He watches over the flock under His care. If only you would listen to His voice today. When do we listen to God's voice? Today. I'm grateful that you listened yesterday, and I'm grateful that you listened a week ago, and that He spoke a month ago. But when we're speaking of an ongoing relationship, um, it's always about today. It isn't that you told your spouse that you loved them last week or the month prior. It's that they know that you love them today. It's an ongoing relationship, right? Still alive. So it's important that we hear God's voice today. The Lord says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Marbah, as they did at Massa in the wilderness. For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw everything I did. I wonder how many times God thinks, you know, haven't they seen me come through again and again and again? Why? Why are they testing my patience today? After all that I've done, for 40 years I was angry with them, and I said, they are a people whose hearts turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger I took an oath, they'll never enter my place of rest. We mentioned last week the parallels between Psalm 95 and the book of Hebrews. So the backdrop, again, here in Hebrews chapter 4 is Israel's wilderness journey. So wouldn't it, therefore, be safe to conclude that refusing to hear God's voice and entering his rest is equal to the wilderness? Okay, let me say that again so you're tracking with me. Wouldn't it, therefore, be safe to conclude that refusing to hear God's voice and enter his rest is equal to the wilderness? So what keeps us in our wilderness journeys, well, a refusal to hear and obey God, which is what Hebrews 4, 11 says. So I was praying, I, you know, I wrote this message, you know, weeks ago, but I'm, I'm going over it. I'm always going over it. You know, God, what additional, you know, truth or insight would you give me? And sometimes all the way up to when I'm there during worship in the front row, right before I walk up, God's showing me things, and so I'm trying to type them in last minute so I don't forget them. I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said this, that there is no rest for the rebellious. So we could even say that the rebellious are restless. Rebellious people are restless people. They gotta work really, really hard because they don't wanna listen to anybody's instruction no matter how wise. I'm sick and tired of people telling me what to do. My parents told me what to do. My teachers told me what to do. My coaches tell me what to do. I go to church and the pastors even tell me what to do. I'm tired of people telling me what to do. And because you don't want to listen to anybody, you got to work really, really hard to figure things out. And you're restless and you're always going and you're always striving and you are surrounded by wisdom and people that have been there and done that and bought the t-shirt but you don't want to listen to them. By the way, hopefully you like our new Restore t-shirts, um, and uh, um, they're pretty slick, um, and you can get them, and what are we asking for them again? 15 bucks if you want to get them, so we've got our staff wearing them, so check them out. They're pretty awesome, and uh, you're surrounded by wisdom, 24-7 surrounded by wisdom. Isn't it amazing how dumb kids think their parents are? Like the parents are going to say, wow, I never thought about doing that before. That's a new one. Wow, I've never been there. That's amazing. Wow, really. <laughs> Only to see them start to listen to the music that we grew up on. 
I was just telling Dylan the other day, this song right here, it was played to death on the radio. I got sick of it. It was played so much growing up. I can't remember what song it was. Oh, it was a Bachman-Turner Overdrive song. Um, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, what is it, Proverbs 12.1 that says, um, he who refuses uh, to listen to instruction is stupid. We told our kids stupid was a bad word, but it was used in Scripture. Stupid, rebellious people, they don't listen. They don't listen. They don't listen. And I've seen them young and I've seen them old, and man, they just can't listen. They don't want to listen. They don't want to stand for reason and they don't want to sit for reason. They don't want to listen to reason any way that you slice and dice it and give it to them. And I don't know of anyone that can grow in anything spiritual that is a poor listener. In fact, a lot of leadership teaching is out there saying that the best students are those that listen and ask the best questions. And you can't ask good questions if you ain't listening. And so I want to challenge your ability to hear today. And maybe it starts with me as your pastor today, but it's going to continue with God. Pastor said something, and it's, and it's eaten away at me. Pastor said something, and it's gnawing away at me. See, rebellious people, they don't want to listen to anyone or anything. And can I just say, no one, you know, everyone cannot possibly be wrong, and, and you're right all the time. They, they just can't be. Well, Pastor John, people have hurt me, and it's hard to listen to them. We've all been hurt by people. Every one of us have been hurt by people. Man, if you're in the ministry, you have a better opportunity to be hurt by people. So what does that have to do with the price of egg yolk? We're on this planet with people. Guess what? You're going to spend eternity with people. It's unavoidable. But you've got to stay soft. You've got to forgive. Because there's a rest that God wants to bring you into, and he leads us there by his voice. So your ability to hear his voice will determine how you get there. So the rebellious will refuse to listen and to hear, and that's why they're restless. That's why they're in the wilderness. How do you get out of the wilderness? You get out of the wilderness by hearing and listening to God. That's how. God said, man, because they refused to listen to my voice, they didn't enter my rest. So rest and peace, getting out of our wildernesses, those are all connected to hearing God's voice. And I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm doing my best to be an equipper in the body of Christ as part of the fivefold ministry pastors, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists. But how many of you know that the better part of your Christian walk and Christian living is done outside of these doors? So, man, hopefully I'm inspiring you to get to work and to pursue a relationship with a living God. Let's look at some. Powerful scriptures, probably some of my favorite in this chapter, beginning at verse 12, Hebrews 4. It says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. That word sword is the most often mentioned weapon in the Bible. 
and it's likened unto the Word of God. Rick Renner does some of the most amazing studies on, on weaponry and spiritual warfare, and he talks about the sword that's being spoken of. And when we think of a sword, typically we think of a, a long sword, whether you're thinking of some samurai, you know, cutlass or, you know, um, William Wallace's five-footer or whatever. Um, this word for sword right here is more of a military dagger. And it was used in close combat. And so it's powerful to note that when the word of God is being spoken of here, it's being spoken of in a warfare sense. That the word of God is likened unto a military dagger that you can use to fight the enemy. If you have ears to hear. What did Jesus do when he had to deal with Satan in the wilderness three times? It is written. It is written. It is. He is God the Son, and he's quoting Scripture. Why? Because that's how you fight the devil. Because that's how you fight your enemy. The weapons of our warfare are mighty in God. And the Word of God is first and foremost in your arsenal, in the weaponry that he has given you, and by its design, it is a sword that can pierce and can penetrate. I think of scriptures like Acts 2, 37, when Peter, fresh out of the upper room, was preaching. The Bible says that they were cut to the heart, or Peter's words pierced them. That's how powerful the word of God is. can cut right to the heart of the matter. That's why the devil in church service is always trying to get you to think about somebody that's not here that you wish was. He's always trying to get you to notice somebody else and never deal with your own stuff. That's not how David prayed. David prayed, God, if there be any wicked way in me, we're all so quick to notice everybody else's wickedness. We're so hesitant and reluctant to deal with our own. When's the last time you prayed a prayer like that? God, if there be any way in you, in me that displeases you, if there be any wicked way in me, try me, test me like you would metal in a fire going from hotter flame to hotter flame to hotter flame so that those impurities would rise so that they could be removed. Did it ever dawn on you that why you're seeing what you're seeing about yourself that so grinds you about yourself is, is there for a reason it's so that you would deal with it? Why are you always dealing with that area in your life so that you'll do something with it? God's allowing you to see it. He's turning the heat up. It's rising to the top so that you can skim it off so those impurities can be dealt with and removed. Why am I always dealing with this area of my life? Because you refuse to deal with it. That was worth the price of admission. So, there is a huge life-changing difference between hearing a message about God and hearing a message from God. Christian living is not hearing a message about God, it's hearing a message from God. You live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's how you live. So how is your hearing? What's God been telling you lately? Because that tells me how you're living. See, we wanna think that there's some formula that we can adopt, that, that we can get to, to work for us, and as long as we apply this formula, everything works out. There are no formulas. There are no formulas to walking with God. There's hearing and doing. This isn't rocket science. This is Christian living. And the better part of your Christian walk is never gonna be based on what you see. Because as believers, we walk by faith, not by sight. 
And so all of the formulas that you want to adopt and all of the packages that you want to put your Christianity into, that's what's seen. The better part of your Christian living is based on that which you cannot see. And that is how you walk, by faith and not by sight. They that are led by the Spirit of God are called the sons of God. Not those that have figured it all out and can put a face and a facade on and come to church. It's the way we live and we live based not on things that are seen. We, based on the, uh, we, we live a life based on the unseen. We are led by the Spirit of the living God. And I'm glad that he's not seen because if he was, we'd find a picture, we'd find a sculpture, and we would worship that. We're always looking for an image to worship. And isn't it amazing how intense God's presence can be, but he's not seen, and yet you find yourself worshiping an unseen yet a living God. That's the goods. The goods are not what you once knew and what you once experienced and the ministry that you were once a part of. It's your being led today. Today. Your relationship with God is based on today. Not yesterday. So with God, there's always fresh starts. There's always new beginnings. Devil wants to beat you up because of yesterday, and God's trying to speak today. Devil's always trying to bring you in yesterday, and God's trying to bring you out today. Breakthroughs happen today. Restoration happens today. Healing happens today. Fresh starts happen today. The devil wants to remind you tomorrow. Man, you blew it back then. Man, yesterday, man, you were a scoundrel. You were a rascal. And you're out in the community and you're bumping into the people that you did all the stuff with and it beats you down. And God's saying, yeah, but what about what I told you today? What about what I'm revealing today? What about what I just spoke to you in church this morning? What about that? Come on, church. Be healthy. God's word is alive and full of power. It can cut through anything, including our mind, will, and emotions. It can expose anything, including our thoughts and desires. Three words for the Word of God used in the New Testament. In the Greek, they are graphe, logos, and rhema. Graphe is the written word, logos is the expressed word, and rhema is the quickened word. So we pick up the graphe, read the logos, and we receive a rhema. Graphe, logos, rhema. And the reason why I'm picking up my graphe and I'm reading my logos is so that I'll receive the rhema. That's the goods, that's the dealio. That's why I read my Bible. It's not some, some spiritual practice that I should have because I'm a Christian. No, 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 because God talks to me. He talks to me. And the majority of the way that God talks to you is when you're reading your Bible. So read your Bible, you give God more of an opportunity to speak to you. And then the more he speaks to you when you're away from the word because you've been in the word, you know that it's God that's speaking to you because it lines up with his word. Come on. God's trying to make it easy. We're trying to make it hard. We're trying to get people to, to live like this and to walk this line and to toe this, toe this line and to, and to act like this and to just knock it off and just pursue Jesus and have a relationship with the living God? And let's get our religious hands off of what God's doing in somebody else's life and just encourage him, man, you're doing great. Keep walking with the Lord. Come on, keep fellowshipping with the saints. I know some of them are weird. You're a little weird too. I'm a little weird. We're all weird. Don't worry, you'll find a group of people you get along with. 
Isn't it amazing? We act like we have to tolerate everybody and we never think about how they got to tolerate us. Why is it tolerance only works one way? Okay, another message. Another message. So, <laughs> that was close, but I, I fought back. So nothing is hidden from God and we all will give an account to God. Let me show you something else here in, in your Bibles, just a little truth about this rest that we enter into. Do you see verse 9? In the New Living, it says special rest. Most older versions will say Sabbath rest. I just want to mention this because it's just a great little point, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get back to where we were and we'll wrap things up. It's the only place in the Bible that expression is used. Only place. That's why the New Living says special rest. Older versions say Sabbath rest. It's the only place, and it's believed that the author coined it. Like it was just like a common idiom that was being used in the church at the time, that Sabbath rest is something that the author and the early church coined, like their own vernacular, their own slang in that, in that day. It's the only place you're going to find that word used in all of Scripture, only place. I thought that that was powerful. I thought it significant because every generation, they kind of come up with their own words. I mean, years ago, it was, you know, I mean, these are like words that they make up, like, um, you know, words like emo, and back in our day, it was bogue, you know, you're so bogue, and you got bogued out, and you're such a bogart, and, and I mean, where did that word even come from? I mean, is that even like a real word? I don't even know. Um, but words, words like, it seems like every generation kind of has like their own language, like their own little coded, coded language. And if you've ever hung around kids that grew up in the inner city, they have a language all unto themselves. And it's just crazy how they can talk to each other and know what they're talking about. And this word is, is kind of like that. And the author, whoever it was, whether it was, you know, something Paul, some, something Luke, something Barnabas, whoever, whoever the author of the book of Hebrews was, this was like a term that they coined and that they were using in their church circles in that day and in that age. And it's the only place you're going to find it in Scripture. I thought that that was significant. So as frightening as nothing being hidden from God and the fact we're all going to give an account to God could be, take heart because God understands all your weaknesses. So some of you, depending on the way that you were raised, maybe you were raised in a staunch mainline denomination, God had this great big huge fly swatter and he was just waiting for you to mess up and maybe that was reinforced because you grew up in a house that was very, very strict. You had a very, very demanding and if there was a little spirituality mixed in with that, dad was this, was this very heavy-handed you know, leader and you just wanted to rebel yourself from that and man, if God is like that, I don't want anything to do with God and if God is just waiting to squash me and I'm going to get squashed anyway, so I'm going to live any way that I want to and I'm just going to go for it. I'm going there anyway, anyway I might as well do whatever I want. It makes me feel good. But that's not God. God understands all of your weaknesses. Why? Because in every way that you were tempted, so was he. So was he. He went through it all, too, and was tempted in every way that you were. That's why you can boldly come to his throne. It is a throne of grace 
You can obtain grace and mercy in a time of need. Can I dare say this, and you can challenge me and check me if you feel that I'm wrong. It is a throne of incredible and immense understanding. It is a throne of great depth and understanding. There is nothing that you could come to God with that he could not grasp or understand and did not experience. That's what's being said here. Tempted in all ways that you were. Knows your weaknesses because he too was flesh. He too was flesh. When we think about Jesus, we think about, you know, just God. I want to remind you that he was fully human. Fully human. Tempted in every way that you could be tempted. You name it, he was tempted that way. When it says every way, it means every way. So that meant Jesus had to deal with lust. That meant Jesus had to deal with greed. That meant that Jesus had to deal with substances. He was tempted in every way that we are. Because if he wasn't, then we would be approaching a throne that just dealt with this and dealt with that and can't deal with that. There would be a lack of understanding with God concerning this, and you know that there is no lack of understanding with God. So go there in your mind and in your heart. Try, try to approach God thinking that he just doesn't get it where this area in your life is concerned. I tell you, he does. And that's why you can boldly come to him, knowing that he understands, knowing that he gets it. Knowing that he gets it. And can I just say this? I can't find anywhere in Scripture to support that you are supposed to be bringing others to the throne. It says that you're supposed to boldly approach the throne. And you can tell others how to get there, but I can't find anywhere that says you can drag them there. And so I'm grateful for those of you that came to church today and maybe you didn't really want to be here and you, got, and you were dragged here. We can get you to church, but we can't drag you to an altar. We can get you in God's presence, but we can't get you to make a decision. You have to choose. And all service long, whether it's in worship or whether it's going to be at the prayer that we pray at the end, God's been knocking on your heart's door. As the word's going forth and you identify with bits and pieces of it, and God's speaking to you, and he's, and he's deconstructing all of those walls that you've put up to protect yourself, it's always and forever going to be your decision. It's not mom and dad's decision. It's not grandma and grandpa's decision. It is your decision to have a relationship with the living God and to pursue that. So whether you're here present or whether you're watching us live this morning, it is your decision. And you must come to it and you must make it regarding God. Because it is your walk that you walk by the faith that you have in the living God. It's nobody else's walk. No matter how amazing your parents were or weren't, no matter how much you want to blame them for, well, they said that they were Christians. Well, a lot of people say that they're Christians and do some crazy things. And just like Jesus told Peter when Peter said, well, what about John here? What is that to you? You follow me. And can I say that to you? What is that to you? You follow God. You follow Jesus. What is that to you? How many people do you want to bring up before God to justify your reason for not wanting to know him and to follow him? Well, come on, Pastor John, if I follow God, he's going to make me a priest or he's going to make me a nun or something, and I'm going to, this life's going to be boring. I guarantee you it's not a boring life. I promise you it's not a boring life. No life hearing the voice of God leading you is boring. Come and follow me, and I'll lead you into boring places where you'll be bored out of your mind and... 
never have any fun at all, and it's going to be absolute torment for you all of the days of your life, and if you love me, you'll do it. Said God, never. It's exhilarating. It is terrifying and amazing. And there's, can, can I say this? There is an addicting quality to the presence and the love of God that I, I, I come on, God, do it again. You touch me like you just did. Oh, God, I need it. Please let me know that the, that the mistakes that I made, that my flaws and weaknesses aren't, aren't pushing me away from you. Come on, come on, come on. I, I, I need, I need, I need you again. And the more and more you go to him, the less and less you need to be filled up by everything else. And those things pale in significance to knowing him and being filled by him. See, changed lives don't have any room for that. Changed lives don't, don't have any extra room for all of those things that they once did in excess. There's, there's no real room for it. There's not a place for it. Man. There is grace and mercy at his throne. Grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. Grace, something you don't deserve, but God gives anyway. And I wonder why they would cry out, the blind, the lame, have mercy on me, oh God. Have mercy. Jesus would be walking the streets. Son of David, have mercy on me. They were declaring that they knew Jesus to be God, the Messiah, and they needed his mercy to heal him. When's the last time you asked God for his mercy? When's the last time you asked God to extend his mercy, his grace, not based on anything that you did? This isn't earned. It's received by faith. It's not earned. How could any of us earn it? How could any of us behave perfectly enough to get it? Neither you nor I nor anybody else. And so I want to pray with you this morning before we leave. I'm running out of time. And so let's pray. And I don't know where you're at with God. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what you've experienced. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you came here. You could have been fresh out of a fight in the car with your spouse on the way here saying, if God doesn't do something today, we're done. No idea. Threatening one of your kids to kick them out of the house unless they shape up, I have no idea. Once again, you're in the presence of God and God's speaking. And it's not enough to just hear. In order to apply what God's speaking, you must obey whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. I will liken them unto a wise man. there's not obedience to God speaking going on in your life, then that's the same as building a house right on top of the ground without a foundation. It can't handle storm one. But the wise man, he digs deep and then lays the foundation. Not in case a storm comes, but as one preacher said, 
the wise man dug deep and built his house on a rock knowing that the storms would come. God, if you love me, how could you let this happen? Is that the question we should ask? Or should we boldly declare because we've approached his throne, God, I know you're with me in this fight. I know you'll ever leave me or forsake me. And the fact that I'm still standing says you're with me. Sometimes God, God's grace is so strong in the midst of a storm, you don't realize how much he's protecting you, how much he's buffering.